going to happen, for anybody who knows, anybody who listens to the SoundCloud things, is this, they're going to listen to this one, there's going to be no prayer at the beginning, because we just prayed, then I turned on the recorder. But we're talking about it now, so. What are we looking at today? We're looking at Luke. And it's basically Luke 13 through 19. No, it's, uh, I got a wedding to do. I'm not going to drag my feet uh, through that much text. We're only looking at a portion of chapter 13 and a portion of chapter 19. But they sort of drew themselves together as I was looking at 19 on the triumphal entry. And um, it caused a passage to kind of spring to mind from earlier in Luke, and so I started putting it together. Then, this is, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I was looking at the scriptures of late afternoon yesterday, and we got into the evening, and a bunch of people, of course, as usual, showed up for the library time. My son and daughter-in-law, Davis and Manisha, and, and they're lawyers, so, you know, sometimes it becomes argumentative. And we were arguing about immigration. You've heard of this. And uh, good, good discussion, I thought. And I, and I was looking at the passage this morning. It's like, this is about immigration. Into the kingdom of God. But, you know, still, border security. So, no, I'm not trying to make something holy and eternal into an example for how you're supposed to view current social crises. Uh, do with it as you will. But at least we're going to look at the Lord's view of border security in the kingdom of heaven. Luke 13, 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the householder has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taunt in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And men will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Well, I dare not apply this to immigration issues on the Texas-Arizona border. Because I wouldn't want to say that Jesus Christ is teaching, or the Gospels are teaching, this is the way you treat as a state immigrants who are coming in. Now, you may believe so, I'd have no problem with that. Whatever the case... This is a more important border issue than that one. What happens to illegals happens to legals. What happens to people who exceed the quota, who jump their visa, do whatever they do. And I'm grateful that I have a daughter-in-law from parts unknown because 
of the weirdness of the federal system. Thank God. But God can use those things. But we have to stop and say we don't want to also, just like you don't want to get, well, I think the current administration should act just like Jesus. I don't care where you come from. I don't know you guys. Stay out. But I also don't want someone to say, especially of the kingdom of heaven, just like they would take their more conservative politics into Christianity, they might take their liberal politics into Christianity. Because Jesus is a very strict border wall sort of guy. I don't know you, go away. Not only do I not know you, I don't know many of you. He said, will there be saved? Many or few? And he says, a uh, few. The other, the, the sister passage in, in the Gospels where he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they that go therein, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Strive to enter here by the narrow door, for many will try. Now, the thing, the reason, what I want you to do, and it's not because it's true about you, okay? Uh, the Lord is dealing with a crowd of Jews that's a, a mixture of very religious and pious people and very irreligious publicans and sinners, tax collectors. Um, so you, you want to say, I, I'm, I'm going to learn either where I am, I'm going to let a dipstick into me, or I'm going to be given some biblical measure of how to run the dipstick into others. People need to know the Lord's mercy, the kingdom of heaven, the death for sin, all of that available. You might say the United States of America in heaven, you know, where everybody wants to go when they die. Uh, Kenny was telling me how much his friends in Nigeria really want to get to America. Really want to get to America. And we probably are aware of that. Now we, as souls, are really want to get to the kingdom of God. And we have to bear in mind, first off, is it going to be many or few? Deal with the idea of few. Now it's going to be tens of thousands and millions, no doubt. But compared to the population of the world, it's not going to be many. And the other concern that should really start to bother us is not that it's just not many, it's other than you. That's what he tells the Jews. He says, better strive to enter by the narrow, narrow door because people are going to try and not get in. They're going to juggle the doorknob and it's not going to work. And they're going to be showing up religious, you know, at the yin-yang and, and want to be in. And Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we listen to your teaching? Weren't we there in a Bible-believing church? You taught in our streets. I mean, imagine if you could say to your friends, well, you know, I, yeah, I was, uh, I was a disciple of Jesus. I know you read a lot of C.S. Lewis, but I hung out, listened to Bible studies taught by Jesus Christ. Not good enough. Not patriotic enough for the kingdom of heaven. 
Be aware that it not being you is a possibility. Because he then warns them. He says, I tell you, you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the guys you know are going. They're going to be in, and you yourselves thrust out. And it's going to be an unexpected line drawing. Between chapter 13, and I jump, make this big jump between 13 to 19, in the intervening six chapters, Jesus is just being absolutely difficult. He is saying things that you don't want your Bible study to slip over into. Any man does not hate his father and mother. Happy Father's Day, by the way. You know, we'd like I didn't cover that passage directly. Anyone does not hate his father and mother. Oh yes, I know there's another one that says, loves them more than me, but in the Luke passage, it's hate your mom and dad. Talks about counting the cost. Do you know how to finish this race? Do you know how to finish this building? Finish this war? Don't start what you can't finish. Now the thing that Jesus Christ is not doing like if, if we are liberal kingdom of heaven people, the liberal kingdom of heaven people want to lower the, the grace requirements. Well, it wouldn't be grace if it, we had a requirement. We're not talking about an act that will earn the grace, but someone who doesn't reverence the grace, someone who does not want Jesus Christ. That's basically it. You're saying, you don't get the grace if you don't want it. How, do we, how can we tell if you want it? Now, there could be different theologies here about what the nature of man is and what the nature of the mechanism of salvation, but whatever the case, there is all of us experience the degree of pursuit of God, and God promises the, the, those that seek, find, those that ask, receive, dock and the door will be open. To him who has, will more be given. To him who has not, what he has will be taken away. And that whole thing is an issue of whence the mercy, whence the entree. How do I... How did I not end up inside when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are inside? How did I not up it inside? And it's a small list. It's a guest list that's very limited. He has that parable in the intervening portions about the wedding feast. All right, which chapter is that? That's... Oh yeah, chapter 14, so the wedding feast, then the great banquet. People getting chucked into the outer darkness for not answering positively the invitation. But you stop and say, whatever my view about American immigration policy, I need to have a Christian view about God's immigration policy. He wants people. But there's going to be some people that aren't in. And he's not going to lower the standard he has to get them in. Just because they need it, even asking, even asking is not going to get it. Lord, Lord, didn't we do such a thing? Lord, open to us. 
he's going to say no. Why does he say no? I thought he was the soul of all mercy. Why does he say no? Because they're workers of iniquity. Depart from me. I never do you. you workers of iniquity. So you mean this matters to you, this issue of righteousness? We don't because we want to be a good to someone else in a situation. Say, it doesn't matter what you do. You can give all sorts of grace to somebody in a situation, but their heart about the grace ought to reverence the grace. Some who think they're first will be last. Now, there is a uh, an immediate paragraph following this first one. It breaks into a sort of a, a kind of action moment. It's one of those interesting phrases. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, "So Pharisees who were friends of Jesus. Pharisees are not always this awful." you know, unpleasant group of people, you know. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Some were like Paul, some were like Nicodemus. Some were friends of Paul. Some were friends of Christ. And they warned him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what's interesting about that is, where our heart goes out to the tragedy-ridden people of Jerusalem, Christ is going, I would have gathered you, but you would not. I would have cared for you, but the will of the people would not. Because really, I was talking to a friend the other day who, who believed that people on their deathbed, if they hear the gospel, common sense tells us 90% will be saved. I said, no, it doesn't. People are just awful. People, it's a goal line stand for them. They're on their deathbed, and they've run their life by their own will the whole time, and they're going to suddenly go, okay, I got to give up. I'm sure there's some desperate people, but for the, it's not common sense that tells us. It's not their lifestyle. They will not. They will not listen. Jesus Christ, when I was growing up there, you'd have revivals. You schedule them, I guess. Somebody comes through town in a tent, have a revival meeting. I don't know if you ever had tents in Annapolis, but uh, people preaching the gospel. And there, you know, sometimes it's somebody you know doesn't, you shouldn't be preaching in the first place, let alone revivals. But other times they're talented, like Billy was. I call him Billy. 
because of first name basis. I never met the man. He could preach. Billy Graham could preach. My heavens, he could preach. <laughs> this is Jesus Christ making his way to Jerusalem in the last, you know, building up to the death of Christ at the end of Luke, at the end of the other Gospels. He's making his way to Jerusalem. Give me a few more days and I'll be there. And, and this is my opinion of Jerusalem. He's killing all the prophets. He says in another place, he says, all the righteous blood shed on earth ever from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who was slain between the sacrifice of the altar. All this will be required of this generation. He's looking at these people and saying, you're just awful. I am the son of God. I have been, and he's the, the perfect revival preacher. He knows everything. And he raises the dead and he walks on water. I don't know what more you want. And he says, how often I would have gathered you. Gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. How much will do you think man is capable of? Quite a bit. So you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is the passage that jumped out at my mind. That's why it's in red. His idea, we might not agree that there's going to be few, relatively. You might not agree, well, you could be confident that it's somebody not necessarily other than you. You might be well into the kingdom yourself. But you can have to say in some way this is true. In some way Christ is talking about the narrow door means something by being narrow. In some way you're going to have to say his warning to them that don't presume on your religion because it could very likely be someone other than you. And probably the least people you expect. The religious leaders were all bothered that Jesus Christ was hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. That shows up in chapter 15 of Luke, one of the intervening chapters. Now when the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is part of the problem Jesus has, is he's selecting his immigration differently than we might imagine. But he says, You have to reverence the good I am doing you, be thankful for the good I am doing you. You will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You have to be not the kind of person who is looking for a, you know, some license to run your life by iniquity. Because iniquity is a great word to use for sin. Feel free to use it in a sentence today. Iniquity. It's like profligacy. It's all bad. But we want to do it. Bad doesn't exist in the world because there's some glowing orb of Sauron out of them cosmos making us all do bad things. We're just all rotten. And until the Lord Jesus Christ redeems you, forgives you, you remain rotten. And it depends on whether or not you have a habit of rotten and you want to stay rotten. You will not or you will. You will want to give up your ungodliness 
Or you won't. You were a citizen of the world and now you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You have to realize there's a flag you fly. You know how in the immigration policy there's fights over whether English should be required or whatever you think. In the kingdom of heaven, yes, the same language, the same flag, the same king, the same law. Celebrated, not merely tolerated by someone who wants to immigrate into salvation. And you're not just going to tolerate King Jesus. You're going to fly his flag. You're going to take his name. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. But you will not. That's what keeps you out. Now, these other things, all the, they had the lost sheep parables and the lost coin and, and uh, various other, the prodigal son parable, the intervening chapters. A bunch of things said, the rich man, Lazarus, uh, what other ones, uh, the rich young ruler, just a bunch of very difficult things that Jesus lets them in for. Now, at the very end, in chapter uh, 19, the beginning of the chapter has the Zacchaeus and the parable of the pounds. And I actually taught out of this passage about a year ago, and I got to the triumphal entry, which I'm covering, and just skipped it. I just sort of made a little note that I removed the triumphal entry here and moved on to subsequent passage, but I wanted to cover that today, but I wanted to also cover the last thing he says coming out of the parable of the pounds never occurred in VeggieTales, it never occurred in Arch books, which was you know, our generation Bible stories never illustrated this, and when I was an illustrator I I, uh, I wanted to do a comic book of this story but I don't think I would get any seller, any purchasers of the idea. Well, because you know that he, he deli- you know, puts out the pounds equally in this case. Everyone of ten servants gets ten pounds. These are not people offended. They're the wedding party. <laughs> wedding people. I hope they're not offended. See you out there. Um, because at the end of it, Jesus says, with well, the character who is examining the results of his servants, the guy who gets 10 pounds out of his one pound, he gets given the one pound to the guy who just hit it in the ground. And then the disciples are all gone. But he already has 10. Because we're all complaining. We want to have the kingdom of heaven run by our rules. It allows me to sin when I want, and me to make the religion I would like to make out of Jesus, not him making in me the religion that he wants. He wants me to be a certain way. And we remember last week, we, I think it was John 7, where it says, judge with right judgment. Don't, when you think that I cannot give the guy who made 10 pounds out of the one the remaining pound because you just don't think it's fair, wouldn't it be nice if the kingdom of heaven was run by you guys? Thank God it's not. Have you ever noticed how Christianity has not done a really good job when you're giving them any kind of task institutionally on earth, they ruin it. Give them a century, I don't care what denomination, what theology, I'm just prepared to have this go to Hades in a handbasket. If we last, we'll just, we'll just board it up. I'll die, I'll have a heart attack, just board it up, sell it to the Episcopalians because they don't believe anything anymore. Now, we know 
that Jesus has been doing things between chapter 13 where he's really bothered by the disbelief in Jerusalem and he goes, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem you won't see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and at the end of the parable of the parents he says I tell you that everyone who has will more be given but from him who has not even what he has will be taken away parse that sentence out and see what it means to your sense of God being the benevolent and merciful good God that he is it's going to mean something different slightly different to you than perhaps you have heretofore realized what he who has will more be given to him who has not we're actually going to take stuff away can you imagine being on the political circuit and say I got an idea you get more of what you reward and less of what you punish let's give tax breaks to the rich and we're going to raise the taxes on the poor We'll take more away from the poor and less away from the rich. You think the person's going to get elected? They're not going to get elected. I'll just... This is... I'm not saying Jesus recommends that. But Jesus functions in what he is serving us that way. If you have, you'll get more. If you don't have, you will lose it. And then he says, as for those enemies of mine, and I did center this, and I did make it bold, and I did put one of them in red. As for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Jesus Christ in the parable, handing out the talents, rewarding people, not getting a little, you a little uncomfortable, you know, it's not fair, people aren't equal. Then he says, and if you didn't want me to reign in your life, not only do I want you to lose, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose a talent. No. You're going to get marched in front of the master so he can watch you have your throat cut so they can kill you in front of him. That's the image Christ uses. Now, he's not saying that's what he's going to do, but the image, the symbol is always... Um, you want to say less than the actual? Jesus Christ wants us to learn something. That he has expectations in the kingdom of God. When you get to the border of the kingdom of God, whether you want him to rule over you, whether you will or will not fly his flag, bless his name, that matters. And when you don't, he doesn't say, oh, I'm going to force grace on you anyway. I'm going to, even though you're you know, not worth the paper you're printed on, I'm going to force you into the kingdom of heaven. Then we step into the, that's right into the triumphal entry. All this has led up to, he has been just really not real pleased, poking the Jews with a stick for six chapters. They've tried to kill him. They've tried to figure out ways to kill him. They couldn't do it because of the crowds. There's always people who really liked him. Not usually the religious. So all comes up to the triumphal entry. And when he had said this, verse 28, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their garments on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their garments on the road. As he was now drawing near, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Back to Jerusalem and he says, I won't see you again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now it may have been prompted by his disciples, there may be a judgment in that, because within a short period of time, the same city has him crucified. And I don't know whether the cults is sort of a mockery of his kingdom status, or was it regal in a way we don't understand? It was prophesied in Zechariah 9. Uh, one of the other Gospels quotes the passage. But what, what lands on you is, he told them he would not come again until they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying it, and he's riding in on a cult. But he's going to reveal something. This is, you might say, when you fly the flag of Jesus Christ, you have to be ready to bless the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not bless the church's name or bless the claims you make. You know, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, but, you know, it's not him I'm here to serve. St. Paul, you're not even here to serve. Paul was not crucified for you. You were not baptized in the name of Paul. Jesus Christ is the name under which we serve and blessed is that king who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, Jesus Christ is so willing, unwilling, to change his immigration policy that he would rather make a bag of rocks praise his name than change the standard for you. If the people weren't going to sing it, the stones would. But it's going to be sung. The flag is going to be flown in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if a single human being repented and believed. God still would win. His kingdom would be forever. We're not here to adjust it, try to lower the cost for us so that more people will come in. You know, you know you've heard of people simplify the gospel and, and in a sense simple, but they want to not have the choice be so big. They'll even turn some vices into virtues. You know, in this very passage we skipped over about the you know, family, you know, Values. Now, I like my family, and I, was, I got cinnamon rolls for Father's Day. My lovely wife got up and made cinnamon rolls. They were good. I had two. They weren't big. So I'm in favor of having my kids around. I'm in favor of having my grandkids across the street. I'm, 
favor of all sorts of things, but there are people who think that family values would trump Jesus Christ, and no, they don't. You'd better be ready to give up your mother and your father on Father's Day for Jesus Christ, your children for Jesus Christ. That's the standard. You don't get to turn that into a virtue where you could then wage the virtue of family affection against your love for Jesus Christ. We're not here to create our own kingdom where we create this Christian idea of, a, of community. You know, if only we could live in peace and harmony and all have coexist bumper stickers on our car and mean it. Wouldn't that just be... No, no. It's not it either. It's a matter of serving the Lord. God's will will be done. God's will will be done. And uh, if you're not willing to do it, he can get some rocks to replace you. I mean, that's what it comes down to. The very stones would cry out. And it says, and when he drew near and saw the city, remember he's coming down off Olivet, riding on a donkey, his disciples are singing the praises. Triumphal entry, you like the scene. He wept over it. We started this back in 13 when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets. He's riding to his death. He knows that. He said it earlier uh, in chapter 18, right at the, close to the end, verse 32, he's saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered up to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and they will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. He told them directly. But he's on the donkey knowing where he's going. He started this a few days earlier when he commented on it and says, I, I'm not coming back until you say, Blessed be you come to the name of the Lord. Here I am. Somebody's singing it. He looks down at Jerusalem and he weeps. Now this is not a passage in the scripture for you weepy types. Because I know I'm not a weepy type. I cried last in 1969. But... I think crying's okay. Go ahead. Live long and prosper. Cry over what you want to cry over. Movies. Skidding your knee. I don't know. But this is not a passage here to prove that Jesus cried. Jesus is looking at the unbelief of Jerusalem. And he says, Would that even today you knew the things that make for peace. But now they are hid from your eyes. They have gotten to the place where he's come to collect their earnings on the pounds he left behind and they had just buried. You, you didn't realize what I was looking for. God is looking for the righteousness that has been so destroyed by the sin of man can only be arrived at by the work of Christ on the cross and your faith in it. That's the only way you're going to get at it. But you didn't Learn the things that made for peace. You did not want him to rule over you. You didn't want to fly his flag. 
You don't know what's happened to you. You don't know. I was watching a forensic files the other night because I have no choice. Leslie's watching it. And uh, I'm sitting in bed and there was a, some murder and a guy had been killed, I think, by his wife. And they were showing pictures from earlier in his life. And he was on the beach, you know, with a life vest or something, doing a beach face. And I said, this guy doesn't know he's going to be murdered by somebody later on. That photo recorded a guy who had no clue that someone's going to murder him later on. I mean, how many of you are, going to, are murder victims to be? I mean, you don't know, do you? Jesus knew that Jerusalem was toast. You don't know. It's hidden from your eyes. It's over. Everybody out of the pool. It's done. My mercy has waited long enough, my patience. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a bank about you. And the Romans did in 70 AD, a literal ramp to take out the walls. And they built it on the Sabbath so the Jews wouldn't be allowed to fight them as they did it. The Romans, they are just bastards. Surround you and hem you in on every side and dash you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Listen to this, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Oh, not only do we want mercy adjusted to let us in no matter what, because we always belong in, for heaven's sake, I'm white, I'm American, I vote Republican. What's the problem here, Jesus? I'm sure we can work this out. He wants something else. His kingdom is measuring something else. His kingdom is ruling souls who serve the living God in righteousness and are grateful and thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And too often, in the argument last night about immigration, I mean the discussion. The discussion about immigration last night, it's very natural for everyone, at least on site, to always make it a judgment on the government's mishandling of the affair. But hold it, aren't there people sneaking into our country? Aren't they guilty of something? Or the people saying it doesn't matter? Well, I don't know what your view is of immigration. But there are, in your, in your choosing regarding this, and not about real immigration, but kingdom of God immigration, we're not here deciding what kind of God we're going to allow to run this kingdom of God we're assuming we get to be in. He is proving us. He is arguing for our existence. Remember, you're replaceable by a bag of rocks. Because if you're not going to praise him, the rest of his creation will. Because the rest of his creation knows. We are the ones to be judged. We are the ones that are having to prove our existence. And when we didn't even know the time of our visitation in America, where Jesus Christ, Christian books, in our language, churches on every other corner, are right there, and you didn't look. I was talking with a friend about Anthony Bourdain's suicide. Here is a guy 
that searched the world to eat the weirdest things possible from everyone's kitchen. And when he got depressed, he didn't think to ask and search anywhere. He killed himself. Of course. Do you know the time of your visitation? And you think in yourself, when you hear of the saints doing various things, the ministry is doing various things, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you think as a patriot for the kingdom of heaven? Are you the kind of import that when they show up at the visa office, why yes, I have a doctorate from the University of, you know, perfect, love to have you, no problem, front of the line. Are you that sort of person? You didn't work for this. Jesus Christ wants your submission and your service and your thanksgiving and your seeking. He will provide the righteousness and the grace. He will provide that which you need. You need to provide knowledge that you've been visited. Knowledge that you've been offered. And not have him judge you as wanting. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Be merciful to us continually. We ask that you would have each of us search how we stand before you. Do we serve your son, his laws, his grace? Do we represent his goodness? Can he replace us with inanimate but worshipful rocks? Thank you. In your son's name, amen.